Hey, it's Deep Focus. I'm your host, Mitch Goldman. This is part two of three parts of this Deep Focus from May of 2013. Brian Charette, my guest on the topic of Chick Corea, Miroslav Vitosh, and Roy Haynes. And uh, don't worry, that solo he was in the middle of, if you were just listening to part one, is picking up right now. It's Deep Focus. Thank you. 
Gentlemen, drummer Roy Haynes. On bass, Miroslav Vatus. Miroslav Vatus. And piano, Chick Corea. Well, there you go. It is 1982. We mm -hmm. are at the Village Vanguard. And uh, what more can we say? You, you, uh, you were talking about that piece. This is Matrix from Now He Sings, Now He Sobs. It's the first cut we've heard that comes from that album, you know. And maybe the most famous cut for pianists trying to analyze Chick Corea's style. Very famous solo and transcription being circulated for many years about this song, you know. Um, and, of course, you read it and it has, it's impossible to, you know, it almost doesn't make any sense at all on paper, you know. What? You want to explain that a little bit? Well, you can see many of these patterns that we were talking about based around triads and very simple structures with these a few altered notes for the pentatonics. But they occur seemingly without a, a, a pattern for the keys. Mm -hmm. It seems very free, you know, when you yeah. analyze the solo. What? And there's, it's possible that I'm missing something, but I spent like a long time <laughs> listening, maybe not to this cut, but to the original yeah. Matrix. And, you know, the thing about Chick is he has these shapes that he moves around very much. Like, he might play an idea. Let's see, we're in C. Can I talk about it, like, yeah, with man. notes for a sec? So let's this, say... This, a, let me remind you. Mm -hmm, the it's program. deep focus, exactly. yeah. Exactly. So let's say a Chick Corea idea on C, dominant 7. He's playing the notes B flat, which is the 7th, C, tonic, E, 3rd, and E flat, hmm. wow. which is a very common device of his G and maybe a flat, which is a sharp five and a sharp nine. Yeah. So that's like one of, it's not a pentatonic per se because there's no a in it, but it's a shape that he would have and he would work these out obviously in every key and would modulate very, very much when playing over matrix, which is a blues basically. It has mm. three chords in the stock changes, but he's going to very, very many different key centers in his improvisation and sometimes not resolving for quite a while, mm. you know. So we can end up in a very, very different place. Like at the top of the form when, you know, a very strict reading of the blues would be one chord, tonic, he's right. in some very different place, you know. Wow. So very interesting to listen to. And this improvisation on this is much different than the album. First of all, he's playing like one of these, I think, early... Um, Yamaha keyboards. It uh -huh. might even be the keytar thing that he would play. Uh -huh. um, so he's he's strutting out in front of the band. I don't the know. I don't know. It is 1982, <laughs> you know. That was the day. And we heard Roy had a big gong or something with him, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so pretty that, interesting, you know? all these electronics. You know, Chick was, he's amazing on the acoustic instrument and also like a pioneer with the electronics as well, I feel. Yeah. I think, you know, another thing, we were talking a little bit earlier about maybe the shifting perceptions about Monk. He was talking about another thing, uh, changing perception. People might not realize that when uh, Return to Forever was touring, they were they were playing huge venues, sure. huge rock and roll style production. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I don't think that he had any trouble. With the uh, rock yeah. status. No trouble with that. Also, I don't think that it was lost on him what it meant to play the Village Vanguard either. Uh -huh. I'm not sure. saying that I think he was, you know. Mm -hmm star tripping on that or anything mm -hmm. but there's a certain kind of showmanship and, a, and a something experience set of experiences that he had had mm -hmm. since the time of that 
1968 recording now mm-hmm. that it's 1982. And uh, but but now, yeah, talk a little bit more if you would about that solo that he did about uh, the choice that he made of the instrument and the approach that he took on this reading of that familiar tune. Well, he sounds like he is playing one of these early um, DX. I guess it's called FM synthesis, like an early Yamaha keyboard. And I'm not expert, so I don't know if that's exactly what it is. But, you know, these early synthesizers, the FM ones, had algorithms, you know, before synthesizers were analog. So they started with noise and with a series of filters would strip away things from the sound to arrive at the sound. This was additive synthesis. It had an algorithm. Um... And you would edit that with different kinds of filters. And this sounds like some sort of clav algorithm, something that sounds like a close like a to a 60s Honer clavinet. Yes. That's being sampled or replicated in some right. way. Right. And in the song before that, he sounded like he was using other FM kind of like wood blocky sounds, sounds that became very popular on DX7 keyboards mm-hmm. a few mm-hmm. years later. Um, yeah. Do you have any uh, insight into? why, how he might make a choice like that. Well, that was the new thing at the time. You know, that was a very, those were the first keyboards that kind of sounded like instruments. Yeah. You know, I mean, you had, I think at that time, an organ instrument made by Korg that was kind of emulating a B3. Mm. But the algorithm for organ is very simple. It's one of the simplest algorithms. Hmm. Um, But if you wanted something to sound like a clav or to sound, you know, the Moog synthesizers didn't really do that. Yeah. You know, they sounded like their own thing. Yeah, and that, that was the uh, stripping away. Right, that's analog. the analog stuff. So these synthesizers were kind of like a very new thing. First of all, everybody was carrying around these heavy instruments. Right. And, you know, there was a pretty good road sound on the DX keyboard, and people started to use that a lot, and you started to hear it in all recordings. Like, from that period, you can kind of tell what year it is if you hear DX7. Yeah, you know. yeah. And, this, and, and 1982, that was right around the time this was just coming online. You like, I'm have, not expert on yeah. which one it is, but that sounds like one of those Yamaha FM synthesis, early synthesis. Let me ask you this. Uh-huh. If you were a marketing guy uh-huh. at uh, one of the big electronic keyboard companies uh-huh. and you had a prototype of a new instrument that nobody had heard yet, mm-hmm. who would be the first three people you might want to give that to? Right now? No, in 1982. 1982. He would be one of the people. Yeah. It was like him, Herbie, and Keith Emerson. Keith Emerson, Or Rick yeah. Wakeman. Those yeah. guys were using yeah, very much yeah. of that stuff. Ja- Zawinul. Right. I was thinking of Zawinul. You know, those but, guys. Yeah. Those yeah, guys. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know. Right. So that could be uh, where mm-hmm. it's at. So, okay, uh, we're in the WKCR archives. If you are looking around for where you can buy this fantastic recording, <laughs> you're out of luck. <laughs> but... Don't buy yet, because I'm going to throw in a free Ginsu knife with the fact that you are getting this recording free live over the airways right now from WKCR, because we do have this great recording, and uh, we are putting it in a deep focus with Brian Charette here in the studio, fantastic keyboard player who you should make plans to go and hear your next opportunity when you can catch him touching down between flights to... Eastern Europe and points beyond, <laughs> but uh, we've got him here in the studio right now, and, and uh, so happy to hear your insights talking about this music. Uh-huh. I I love this recording, but I didn't know why I loved it. Now <laughs> I do. <laughs> um, we're going to move into the second set, and uh, there's uh, quite a bit more Monk, and um, some more original recordings and some other stuff coming up. Any any particular thoughts from? I know you got to spend a little time with this music. I'm just, I'm just into listening to Chick. I'm in. I'm so into his uh, rhythmic, you know, odd groupings, um, which is a weakness of mine. Ah, ah. <laughs> now, for the listeners, uh-huh. I hope you see and appreciate how deep you can go with this music. Uh-huh. What it means to really put it in a deep focus. Sure. And uh, you're you're doing an outstanding job of oh. uh, shining a light on that, Brian. Let's go back to the vanguard. Okay. All right, ready? We're getting back in the chopper. Flying south at 110 per. Here we go. 
thank you. That's, uh, that was a waltz entitled Mirror, Mirror. And uh, let's see, what did we do just before that? We started out with uh, an old standard tune called So In Love. Uh, we'd like to continue now with a composition of Miroslav's called Mirror Vision.
we are, it is a live recording. Mm-hmm. 1982, we're at the Village Vanguard with Chick Corea, Miroslav Vitosh, and Roy Haynes. You're listening to WKCR. I'm Mitch Goldman. My guest tonight for Deep Focus, Brian Charette. Uh, we'd like to continue now with uh, a couple of compositions of Thelonious Monk. The first one is called Crepuscule for Nelly. It's, it's, it would be difficult to have a crepuscule with Nelly, so it's better to have a crepuscule for Nelly. What? Uh, and then uh, the next piece after that is called Rhythm and Ink. The next piece after that is not called Rhythm and Ink. Uh, it's called Hackensack. We are going to hear those in their entirety coming up to just a uh, little minute. I just wanted to jump in, Brian, and um, ask you, Thelonious Monk had a very, well, I was going to say very large, maybe it wasn't a huge number of compositions, but a, a pretty hefty amount of them, and uh, a big variety. And some people gravitate towards some compositions uh-huh. and others towards others. Any thoughts about the selections? They you know, made? I heard, and I don't know if this is true, that Monk had less than 40 popular, comp- not popular compositions, but ones that we know and play now. Yeah. I don't know if that's true or not. I would uh, um, believe that. Um, but there's, you know, it's a pretty small body of work, you know. Um, and I think after a point, he was not really writing a lot of music, like the, 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 at the end of his life for a while, like he was in the Baroness, Baroness's house, not really doing yeah, too much, yeah. you know. But I mean, you know, there's, uh, even if there's 40 pieces or even fewer than 40, there's, uh, there's still a breadth sure. of material and a mm-hmm. variety of material. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if there's any pattern you see in the, the pieces among those that, they select to play here what fits this group well, i don't think so i think you know they're very interesting tunes and have unusual harmonic movement like on now he sings now he sobs he plays panonica which is my favorite thelonious monk song um the baroness herself yeah so um i think these guys are very interested in his rhythmic and harmonic approach i think it you know I don't know if the specific songs they play are for that reason, but in general, you know, all of his songs have, you can tell that it's Thelonious Monk. Yes, you know? yes. Do you see any commonality in Chick's compositions and Monk's? I would say no. I think they're very different. Yeah. But he's obviously very influenced by him. Yeah. You know, but I think the approach to the piano is very different. Hmm. Um, Monk was minimalist big time, mm. you know, and you can't really say that about Chick Corea. Yeah, you know? that's true. Um, also, Monk was not, you know, it was playing in a very kind of stabby kind of technique. Yeah. And Chick's is very influenced by Russian classical music. Very linear. You know, so I, I think of them as very, di- as very different. Yeah, yeah. Is it, does it surprise you that Chick would have this gravitation to Monk? I don't think so. I think a lot of people have that with Thelonious Monk. Um, I didn't know that he was as into him as, like, I've never heard, like, before hearing this recording that we're playing now, I never heard him talk about Thelonious Monk Mm. like that before. Yeah. Um, So maybe I didn't know he was as into him as he he is, you know. Yeah, yeah. uh, It's clear. And he doesn't. I'm trying to think of uh, Chick Corea's albums. He doesn't do a lot of covers, right? I mean, he did, there's not a lot of other composers. He'll play... Just on the just when he's playing like Piano Trio, he yeah. does. Yeah, you yeah, know. yeah, yeah. Um, and even on Now He Sings, Now He Sobs, it's not... There's maybe... He'll like, do a standard Yeah, maybe that's the only standard on that album, though, especially the original release. It has Windows that sounds like a standard, but he wrote that. Um so maybe Panonica is the only, you know. So this is so it's fair to say Monk's music has a singular place. Sure, he's playing four songs in his yeah. night there. Yeah, you know, so big time. Well, and it's a big part of that album, um, trio music. Mm-hmm. 
I think I think it was a two LP set. Mm -hmm. And one, I don't know this one very well. Uh, well, this is this is the one that had just come out when they made this recording. I think there, there's a, a big uh, improvisational section in a few different sections, uh -huh. and then a bunch of monk tunes, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, monk and monk alone. And again, that, this is right in the wake of monk's passing, mm -hmm. and he did. Uh, He'd been off the scene for so long by the time he'd passed that I, I think there was this desire to shine a light uh -huh. on that music. But yeah, it's, it's a, this is a singular moment and a distinctive piece of work in Chick Corea's recording history. And uh, it's also interesting, he makes quite a bit of room for, well, maybe it's not fair to say he makes room, they make room for a number of Miroslav Vitoshe's uh, compositions as mm -hmm. well. Mm-hmm as we heard just right there. Incredible bass playing on this whole, these whole two sets, man. There is a kind of bravura technique. With that the often, bow, the scales, like he's like pretty much nailing it, you know. This is kind of uh, <laughs> macho, studly. Well, he was like, we were talking about it yesterday, I think, he was like Olympic level swimmer when he was a kid. Like he was a competitive swimmer. Um, supposedly amazing at that so he definitely has that element yeah well all three of these guys are just mm -hmm. bringing a, a very uh kind of muscularity i think to the playing it's uh it's it's bracing <laughs> mean man play jazz <laughs> yeah, exactly not always the approach you think of when you think of felonious <laughs> monk mm -hmm. and his music but mm -hmm. shall we hear what they do sure this is Deep Focus. Boom. You can just slap your microphone like I did. That's fun. <laughs> On WKCR, I'm Mitch Goldman. Brian Charette is our guest tonight. We are listening to a fantastic live recording from the Village Vanguard 1982 of Chick Corea, Miroslav Vitoš, and Roy Haynes. And uh, let's go to the Vanguard.
They love you. They love you at the Village Vanguard if you're one of the all-time best ever. That's what we're hearing tonight on Deep Focus. It's Chick Korea with Miroslav Vitosh and Roy Haynes. It's May of 2013, not when the music was recorded, but when Brian Charette was in the studio with me and showing what it's all about to do Deep Focus. This is uh, this is this is what I love about doing the show. Having a guest who is feeling the music very deeply and can talk about it, and why it makes us feel as great as we do, and what's so smart about it. And uh, I hear what Brian says, and it just makes me enjoy the music that much more. You should definitely know about uh, Brian, as we said in the show. Um, the music that we're playing in this, you might not be able to find around, but there's lots of great Chick Corea recordings, including of this very trio that you can find. And you can also find Brian Charette's music, which I strongly recommend. C-H-A-R-E-T-T-E, Charette. And uh, check out his music and you'll be richly rewarded. Organ, his organ work in particular, and his piano work's fantastic too. Okay, so this was part two. There's one more part of this coming. And man, there's just tons of, uh, got a truck going by. We're in Midtown Manhattan. We really are. We're not just making it up. We're really here right in the middle of it. Um, yeah, there's over 100 episodes on the podcast. You can find it on your favorite podcasting app or always available at mitchgoldman.podbean.com. And um, come along with us on Instagram, deep underscore focus underscore podcast for schedule and people put all kinds of comments up there and photos of these artists and other cool stuff like that. Okay, jump over, catch part three. Just gets better and better. <laughs> 